Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. In this episode, I want to share with you some of the main questions and strategies that I discuss with my third trimester patients as we plan for mental wellness in the postpartum period. And when I'm talking about planning for postpartum, I'm not really talking about focusing on the practical planning. So which items you need to purchase, what's going to be the right bassinet, what's going to be the right onesie, what's going to be the right type of diaper, or the logistics of taking care of the baby. How do you learn swaddling? How do you learn the right way to burp a baby? Many of those things are available through, for example, the childbirth classes and the infant care classes in various hospital settings that are available to you if you are planning to deliver there and in various other kind of community types of forums. What I want to focus on when I'm talking about the planning aspects is planning for mental health and well-being in the postpartum. And I want to talk about five specific components. The first thing to plan around is support. This is the first and most important question that I ask all of my patients is who's going to be around you postpartum? And just as important sometimes is who is going to be asked to postpone their visit? We do all know that some visitors are more stressful than helpful. And there's a few different categories of support. First, there's paid help, considering, for example, a postpartum doula or a night nanny to help with baby care if that's something that your finances can allow for. Help with overnight care can ensure better sleep for the parents, and it can also provide some teaching techniques on various soothing and other kinds of infant care. Then there's the support available from a mother's helper or a babysitter that can be used to primarily help with managing some of the older children if this is not your first child and they need some attention as you're bringing home a new baby. Then we have spousal support. Some companies, some jobs do allow for parental leave for both parents. And if the non-birthing parent is able to take leave, I think it's important to make sure that when they are taking leave, they actually leave. I've definitely had patients whose partner took a quote-unquote leave, but really it meant more as working from home. And that is really hard because if you were counting on that particular type of support, but it's not quite there, it makes it very challenging postpartum. And then finally, family support. Family support is one of those things that can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's important to think about which family members are going to be helpful and what kind of boundaries to set with specific types of family members. What is going to be the best timing of their visit? How are they going to be most helpful? Is it going to be immediately after delivery? Or could it be a few days, weeks, or even months after you've settled into the postpartum period? And thinking about in advance what kind of help these particular family members might be able to provide. Maybe they're most helpful with taking care of some of the chores around the house, the cooking and the cleaning. Maybe they'd be most helpful managing some of the older children. Or maybe they would be helpful with helping take care of the infant. It really depends on each individual family member. And it's helpful to think about what the boundaries and the goals of that visit are going to be in advance. And to make sure that you're not hosting. What you don't want to be doing immediately postpartum is playing host or hostess to a number of different family visitors. If the visitors are coming, you want to make sure that they're going to be helpful. And I definitely speak with my third trimester patients 
about setting up the ideal support system postpartum. Because as I said, this is going to be number one to help with mental health in the postpartum window. We've talked about paid help, mother's helpers, spousal support, family support, and then there's also social support. So thinking about both friends that you have in your life and maybe some online support, because I've definitely had patients who've described the postpartum window as something that can be particularly lonely and can be kind of isolating. If you are previously, for example, working, you're no longer regularly in touch with coworkers and having that interpersonal connection. If you were routinely perhaps connecting with friends and now you're at home with the baby, you're trying to settle into a new routine. You might be also taking some additional precautions in order to stay healthy and safe from a COVID and other kind of health perspective, then again, you're not necessarily connecting with others as much as maybe you were previously used to, and it can be a lonely time. So thinking about how you're going to be able to maintain some of those connections. Maybe it's a mom's group. Maybe it's connecting with some of the other parents in the classes that you may have taken during the childbirth or infant care classes in your third trimester. Maybe it's connecting with other individuals online in social groups or forums in order to be able to maintain some of those connections and not feel like you're lonely and isolated postpartum. Support of all five kinds is going to be super important postpartum. That's number one, support. Number two is sleep. And the question that I like to ask all of my patients as they're entering their third trimester and thinking about postpartum is what is going to be the sleeping arrangement? And this is really important to get a sense of who's going to be sleeping where. That really makes a difference in terms of the kind, amount, and quality of sleep that you're going to be getting postpartum. How do you plan to chunk your sleep? There is data that daytime sleep is not as effective as nighttime sleep in maintaining mental health and wellness. And we certainly understand that longer chunks of sleep are also more restorative than shorter chunks. For example, let's say you're feeding your baby at 11 p.m., 2 a.m., and 5 a.m., one of the things that some women choose to do is they wait up until 11 p.m. in order to have that feeding, and then they go to sleep, they wake up at 2, and then at 5 a.m., they get up. And so that ends up being a number of really short chunks of sleep. My recommendation in some of those cases is don't wait up until 11, and don't get up at 5. The other thing to consider is that nap time is not the time to be doing laundry and cleaning the house, catching up on chores. When your baby is napping, it could be a time to catch up on self-care, catch up on sleep yourself, and maybe think about your own nutrition and wellness. Thinking about the sleep arrangements, who's going to be getting up with the baby, at what times, how close is the baby to you, what are you going to be doing overnight, is it going to be feeding and changing and soothing? Is it going to be just feeding and you're going to have some assistance with some of the other tasks overnight? Are you going to be doing all of the tasks? Are you going to have help? That kind of goes back to that first point of support, but really thinking about the sleeping arrangement and how it's going to work best to ensure that you get the largest possible chunks of nighttime sleep. Number three is nutrition. Eating enough postpartum is something that a number of women struggle with. And there could be multiple reasons for it. There could be the plain and simple, I forget, or I just don't have enough time because I'm taking care of my baby. And it's really important in those kinds of contexts to think about the idea of that airplane mask that I've talked about in various other podcasts and that I talk about with so many of my patients. The idea that you need to be able to put your own oxygen mask on first before taking care of others. That means if you are going to be 
making breast milk, you need to nourish your body. And if you're taking care of your baby in other ways, you still need to nourish your body during that recovery period. The nutrition is also really important to nourish your brain. We need glucose to power our brains. And one of the things that so many women describe postpartum is that kind of foggy brain feeling. Well, having the right nutrition with good protein, good fiber can be really helpful in order to manage some of those cognitive issues. Besides having lack of time or attention on nutrition, the other reason that a number of women struggle postpartum with not eating enough is because of their weight loss goals. There's so much pressure, so much stigma, so much in our society today that suggests that women postpartum need to be immediately losing weight quickly. That's so much of what happens in today's media that there's a lot of pressure in order to lose weight. And perhaps the immediate postpartum period is really not the right time to be going on a diet. Postpartum body image and wellness is actually a huge topic unto itself. It's one of the reasons that I created the Radiance program, and I'll include a link for that in the show notes. Radiance focuses on postpartum physical activity, body image, and fitness in order to help women achieve emotional wellness postpartum using tools such as cognitive behavioral strategies and mindfulness skills. So number one was support, number two is sleep, number three is nutrition, number four is pain management. One of the predictors actually of postpartum depression symptoms is poor pain management during labor and delivery and postpartum. And pain management doesn't necessarily mean medication. It could mean rest, stretching, heating pads, and other ways of managing pain really to ensure a healthy physical recovery postpartum. Number five is breastfeeding. Again, challenges with breastfeeding can be a predictor for postpartum depression. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to take a listen to episode eight of this podcast, which focused on breastfeeding and postpartum mental health. There can be a significant impact of breastfeeding on sleep. So that goes back to the second category in planning for postpartum. I also often recommend working with a lactation consultant who is mental health informed. I think there's definitely also women these days who are struggling with the anxiety of the formula shortage that is taking place. And I think that's something to definitely discuss with your pediatrician to consider other potential solutions and to think about how to manage that anxiety in a way that helps you feel empowered. Thinking and sitting in that what if kind of place is definitely anxiety provoking. So we want to shift from that what if anxious place to a place of empowerment and solutions to think about, okay, well, what am I going to do if that is the case? Do I want to consider international solutions? Do I want to consider other kinds of ways of nourishing my child? So that's an aside on how to navigate the anxiety of the formula shortage. But back to the breastfeeding piece, it's really important to think about what your plan is for breastfeeding postpartum, but to also be somewhat open that that plan might not necessarily go exactly as you outlined. And having that openness is the number one thing that's going to help with ensuring emotional health and wellness postpartum. Those are the five important aspects to plan for in the postpartum period. Support, including paid help, mother's helpers, spousal support, family support, and social support. Number two, sleep. Number three, nutrition. Number four, pain management. And number five, breastfeeding. And the reason that it's so important to think about these five concepts and to plan for postpartum is to reduce the likelihood of postpartum mood and anxiety conditions. Now, the vast majority of women do experience what are called the baby blues postpartum. That's a period of time where 
Within the first few days, there's a significant drop precipitously in hormones coupled with the sleep deprivation that leads to feelings of some irritability, tearfulness, and overwhelm. The baby blues does peak usually by the end of the first week and dissipates by the end of the second week. And it's different from the idea of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And many times there's an overlap between the depression and the anxiety. And anxiety is often the number one symptom of postpartum depression. And that's actually something I talk about in the very first episode of this podcast series. I would encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. But postpartum depression and anxiety is something that affects one in five women. Following this advice, taking a look at these five planning strategies is something that's going to help reduce the likelihood, reduce the risk of postpartum depression and anxiety. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.